0: Hello, I'm Laura Scales, a dedicated arts facilitator, career counselor, and the CEO of Living Arts Detroit. Join us as we chat with both experienced and emerging artistic professionals who have ignited their creativity and shaped their careers to thrive while living in the arts. Today's interview is with Connor Shiosha Pickett, a theater maker and arts worker in Chicago. Currently, Connor serves as the artistic director of the Neo-Futurist Theater. We're going to learn more about his path into the arts, his own artistic practices, and some key advice for freelancers. One takeaway I can offer you already do not get rusty and do not give up. For more, stay tuned.
1: All right, let's just get right into it. Hi, Connor. Hi. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good.
0: I'm excited to kick off this podcast. Thank you for joining us today as our first ever uh, interviewee on the Living in the Arts podcast. Uh, would you like to briefly introduce yourself?
1: Sure. My name is Connor Shosta Pickett. I am an ensemble member with the Neo Futurist Theater. I'm the present artistic director. Uh, I live in Chicago. I've lived here for 10 years. I am a playwright, a performer, a musician, an educator an arts administrator, stagehand, doer of all kinds of things. Doer
0: of all things. That's the best, that's the best thing. I like to start off uh, every conversation, if able, um, but I love to start off with a good thing and a bad thing. It can be about your day, about your practice, about art, about whatever you want. You can have two good things, but you can't have two bad things.
1: Okay uh a good thing i'm I'm currently in the performing cast of our home show The Infinite wrench at the neo Futures theater yes. and uh i'm I'm having a lot of fun i've been in the sh- i've been back in the show for three weeks and i'm s st- i feel like I'm starting to hit my groove and there's some there's some material in the show right now that I really look forward to doing every night and we just had a great uh second second good thing we just had a great weekend with two sell out shows and we got to order pizza
0: <gasps> Nice. I feel like pizza is always the signifier of a job well done. Uh, yeah. I think the American education system is to blame for that. Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. <laughs> All
0: right, I've got a couple questions for you. When did you know that you were in this industry for the long haul?
1: Uh, the first thing that came to mind was that when... I was in second grade, I was asked, we were all assigned to draw pictures of ourselves in our future careers, uh, as a, like as adults. And I remember this clearly because everybody made fun of my drawing. I was, I drew myself as a writer and I was sitting at a desk with a stack of papers and a pen in my hand, but I had given myself a beard because all adults have beards. And yeah, everybody thought that I looked st- I, that that was stupid and wrong, and everybody everybody really made fun of me for it. <laughs> um, but it, but you know it, that was like that was the career I was already you know thinking of quite seriously and with basically no realistic alternatives at that time. and there was really no other thing that I pursued with any seriousness so.
0: Wow, I love that you knew such, at such a young age that you wanted to be a writer um, and do art. I hate that people made fun of you. <laughs> so my next question is, for those who might not be aware, could you tell us a little bit more about the neo-futurists and their tenants and why and how you found yourself there?
1: Yes, uh, so we are a collective of writer-performers, who create mostly performance work, but work in all media or many work in work in many media, work in many different forms and venues. Uh, and part of our mission is that we practice radical honesty and consensus-based decision making. Uh, and our flagship show is called The Infinite Wrench. We run 50 weekends a year, six to, five to eight of us at a time in our ensemble of 15. You'll see. 30 short plays in 60 minutes, that's the, that's the hook. That's been the hook for 35 years. Um, we've been in our current home in Andersonville for about 30 years. The questions that we ask of our work and of each other before we put anything on that stage, are our tenets are honesty, brevity, risk, and liveness. So you'll never see us playing characters, you'll never see us faking things or acting things uh, if there's a knife on stage it's a real it's a real knife if there's fire it's real fire um, everything that we tell you is the truth. That's the deal. Uh, people have called it s- like sad sketch comedy uh, <laughs> uh, that's kind of like one of the more derisive but not totally unfair like um, descriptions of our work. I got here because one of my theater professors, Cynthia Crute, who taught directing at the University of Pittsburgh shared with us a manifesto written by the founding director of the organization. Uh, It was called 26 Rules for Making Great Theater. And she was like, I think showing this document to us because she wanted us to like start thinking about plays and theater and the relationship between artists and audiences and artists and each other in a way that was broader and deeper than American realistic theater, people talking in a room. And to think of that as like one form that's available in a vast, vast field rather than like the norm or like the product or the, the right default way to do things. So that started opening up like puppetry and nonfiction and live music and improvisation and like a real... Real direct in-the-room relationships between the audience and the performer. I like, like it's important to me that in my work that I speak directly to the audience. I identify someone in the audience and I'm looking them in the eye when I'm talking to them. That's, that has been like the prized value in my work, or is becoming like more and more the prized value in my work because um, the charge that enters the space when actual listening is happening is so remarkable. But it's it also feels kind of rare to to experience in theaters which it shouldn't be it should be the like it should be what i in my opinion what you experience every time but it's not and so that's like for me like the central value of of working in this way
0: incredible i know that infinite ranch was my first show that i saw when i moved to chicago um, I feel like so many people share that experience, not only because the theater school used to take every single first year, <laughs> uh, to see it for <laughs> orientation.
1: I'm going to be in that show in, uh, next week. Yeah. We're doing that. We're, we are still so doing glad. that. Yeah.
0: I am so glad that that tradition has continued 20 years later. Ah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not to date me, uh, but yes. Uh, It was just such a great opportunity to kind of see and understand um, what made Chicago theater so special. What do you think makes uh, the Neo's such a Chicago staple?
1: A lot of factors. I think we are a really resilient organization. We do a lot of sort of restructuring on the fly. Uh, we pride ourselves on making decisions efficiently and collectively and knowing when to prioritize one or the other if those things are in conflict and how to do so like in a transparent way. I think that's something that we all take a lot of pride in is, is like how we learn to make decisions together. And because ensemble members are most of the administrative staff, It's kind of up to us to take care of the space and our relationships with other theaters and other business vendors, the landlord, the city of Chicago. It's like up to us to take care of all those relationships. So we all have, we all take a lot of pride and ownership over it. Uh, The ensemble is the center of the organization and we make decisions about how to run it together. We, We have those skills and that mindset and I think that makes us really successful especially in like crisis situations or or when the pressure the perceived pressure is very high Uh, and we all believe in our work very very deeply and very personally I think the effect of like going up on stage and talking about my experience and performing my writing and the central value of that being honesty like gives each neo a really deep personal commitment to the to the work that we do, uh, and tourists love us. And sometimes people think we're sketch or improv. And if you think it's improv, uh, and you see some of the th- stuff that we can come up with on the fly, that would really blow your mind, <laughs> <laughs> because uh, we all we write it down and rehearse it. So it's. There, you know, that, that's like one of the other factors is that we get lucky and some people think they're in for one thing and they they've discovered it's actually something very different. And that creates some really powerful theatrical experiences.
0: That's awesome. I, I just have such a fond place in my heart for the Neos um, and still wish I had my T-shirt. 20some we'll years get you ago. another t-shirt I'm gonna have to get another t-shirt um because I can't wait to come back and I know that it's definitely um, a very cool thing when you get to say that you went to a neo show it's it's the bonding experience especially with yeah. the tourists. yes yeah um, they're like, Chicago theater, I saw the neo-futurist. And I was like, you did, did you see Infinite Wrench? And they're like, I did. And I was like, this is this is how we bond. But it's, it's lovely and it's such a huge institution um, and a rock for Chicago theater because regardless of what else might be going on in the city, you know where you can find a good time. Uh, and Thank you. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for for doing it. How has the role of artistic director kind of changed your relationship with the work? Has it changed your relationship with the work?
1: Yes, it has. Uh, I have written and performed with the Neos for five years and just a little over five years. About two of that being the pandemic when the theaters were closed and we did all of our work on video. And. Definitely early on, I had really strict ideas about what a play ought to be. And I and I was a really, like, I was, you know, I was 24. I was 25 when I started, and I, I had a really intense, like, unpredictable emotional life. I had mental health, you know? And sitting down to write a lot of the time, I had a lot of, like, conflicting, difficult-to-navigate feelings about, like, anger and justice and desire and need and loneliness and like all of these things kind of dragged me along through the work and i felt like i was like often not in not in control of these things and not in control of like how my work fit into a whole because the wrench i think part of what makes it such an interesting and like durable show is that in one evening you'll see the dumbest clown gag you will ever see in your life (laughs) and something that something that like might make you mad because it's so stupid (laughs) but you'll also see like something incredibly moving and honest and personal and like deeply felt and you'll see everything in between and like lots of lots of goofiness and lots of like extreme seriousness and my work was tending toward the darker colors of the palette And I wasn't thinking too, too clearly or like in the context of like how it fit into an evening of theater. And now I think as the artistic director, I feel a greater responsibility to like the whole evening. I'm kind of new in this job still. It's, it's been five months since I started.
0: You get to be new for a year.
1: Okay, okay, great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. then I'm still new in this. And I'm starting to, like, I'm starting to sense how that attitude is starting to inform, like, the other responsibilities of my job and my position in the ensemble.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I think a lot about how, um, how we find art but then the outlets almost find us. So I, I always had really busy hands and I was always like fidgeting and trying to do something um, at all points in time. And and (laughs) so then it was like, Oh, knitting. And so we're like putting knitting needles in my hand. And then all of a sudden it was like, Oh, here's a thing that I can do and I can, and it fits and it kind of just kind of clicked into place. But I, I love the idea of, you know, how different experiences kind of inform what we're looking for. And then when it clicks, it clicks. And when you adjust, you adjust. That's a huge step going into an artistic director role.
1: Yeah, it's hard. It's quite challenging.
0: A beautiful curse is how (laughs) someone once put it. Is that they had a beautiful curse because it's like, oh, you could do anything but also you do everything
1: yeah Uh, (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) so but i think that's really absolutely um it's exciting i'm excited to to see and i'm excited that you're currently in the wrench do you have any advice for people who are trying to come up with you know um non-traditional ways of creating or sustaining artistic expression or more traditional um just thinking about the new like fundraisers and patreon and other ways that you all as organizations sustain your work
1: i mean i wish someone would give me some advice uh, <laughs> uh, as far as like materially sustaining you know getting people paid and
0: i i don't even necessarily mean that so much as like I mean, it could be that for sure. Keeping doors open is great, um, but I think you're you're pulling a lot of artistic and creative energy out of people, and then asking them to sustain that for an entire span of of a show. So I didn't know if you it's all so okay if there's no answer to this question.
1: No, I I I'm sure I have thoughts on this question. I think. Fundraising is a an area where we can we're always trying to improve, and I think in every part of working at the neos is like everyone has ideas about how we can be doing things better all the time. Everyone has their own idea about how to be doing each part of the business better the facilities, the donor relations, ticket sales marketing the art. The thing that I think we do well is that we. We listen to the people who are loyal fans of ours and we create relationships with them and we reward repeat viewings and we re- reward repeat students and we, we listen to them and we care about them and we're grateful to them. Um, that takes a lot of ongoing intentional energy and I think we'd all like to be doing better at it, but it is something that we do okay so far (laughs) and 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 the reason that like we do a big annual fundraiser like around november to the end of the year and it's massive commitment by everyone in the ensemble but we always we always hit our goal and it always makes the books work for the next year and um everybody knows how important that is and we all put a ton of energy into it And, and as for like the sustainable practice of the ensemble i think I'm able to work more efficiently now than I than I was before as a theater maker. I think as a as a director, and as a playwright, previously, like precision and repeatability were like major values that I learned at, at school. Which is not the only way. I took ballet, and I loved. There was so much that I loved about ballet, like the in- like the intensity of the repetitions and the like the attention to detail, was like I loved it. And, and like, that is not available as part of, like, the neo-futurist vocabulary. <laughs> that kind mm-hmm. of, like, drill behavior is just not really available. Um, and early on, I think I was still really valuing, like, I was still holding those values tightly. And it wasn't always working. And now, like, I've let go of some of that. And I think the, what's more important or more more suitable to this setting is like, interesting limits and constraints, interesting rules that set up a dramatic mm-hmm. game or a dramatic like use of space and objects. And just like getting to, getting to something that's engaging to watch without like the drill mindset. Um, so I'm, I'm more respectful of other people's time, I think is what I'm trying to say. And like, that's something that I had to learn
0: that's a big thing to learn but also especially in theater <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah and i do miss it sometimes you know i miss that kind mm. of like rigor but we are rigorous in other ways
0: yeah yeah i literally put your whole bodies into it
1: yeah yeah i have to do it i'm doing a piece right now where i get i'm i'm wedged into a big trash can it's a it's a play about how uh when i was a child a a fly flew into my ear and and couldn't get out and so i'm wedged in this i'm wedged in a trash can and two other ensemble members their task is to get me out and it's it becomes like this extended like clown wrestling match (laughs) and it's but it's like it's kind of hard
0: (laughs) I can only and
1: like, there have been some moments where, like, we're like worried about about the potential for injury. Like, we're ch- and we're we're doing it safely as safely as possible, but sure. it's also like live and live and real.
0: It is live and real, and I feel like if there was a commercial for it, that would be perfect. Uh, just that, I hope just so, you yeah. in a trash can, panicked about whether or not this <laughs> is the time that you won't make it out. Uh, the nightmares ensue. That's for me uh, <laughs> um, awesome well, switching gears a little bit uh, tell us about the non- neo um, creative life that you lead if you have a chance to lead a non- neo creative uh,
1: life. <laughs> the i do i my non neo creative work i am I am a musician. I play the guitar and I sing and I like do various drum machine synthesizer computer noise and this is like a creative pursuit that is almost fully outside of the neos it kind of it started as a neo project during the pandemic like during the lockdown period of the pandemic rather and kind of started to have this other parallel life and that's nice because it's solely my vision and so i have no collaborators i do all the I do all the visual stuff and all the editing and the music. And and that's, it's completely 100% my vision. Uh, And I don't make as much time for it as I would like sometimes. But I am trying to like be okay with that not being a job. Yeah. And not thinking of, of it as a job. Yeah. I think all my creative practices have like, tensions and contradictions and it's, yeah. and the, the practice is like getting in and exploring them and feeling them pull one way and another. And so one thing that I like about playing the guitar is, is the repetition and the drilling and the, the solitary practice. And one thing that I like about like programming synthesizers is that there's almost nothing you can do that's wrong. You just nice. Uh, just just like just it. like making horrible noise is a valid thing to do, you know? <laughs> just <Yeah>. make <laughs> and I that
0: composer? yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, so that's that's my non-neo creative practice at the moment. I think before I was a neo, I wrote more traditional one-act and evening-length plays like where they play characters and they pretend they're in a mm-hmm. kitchen, you know? Yeah. That has not been, not so much in the last few years.
0: Well, I think it's also, you know, how we go in and out of our art and our practice, depending yes. upon the world around us. But I, um my uncle always said that he was a musician and that was his greatest advice was to never say anything different than I am a musician. Even if you are known for the guitar, or you're known for singing, or you're known for X, Y, or Z, he would never let anyone call him anything other than a musician, um, because he believed that music was so much more than the particular instrument he was using at the moment.
1: Yes, so yes.
0: That made me think about that. And also, you know, just making noise to make noise. (laughs) That's music. My my daughter is almost three and she's doing that as we speak. Hopefully you can't hear the pots and pans, (laughs) but I can. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Well, then, can you tell me a little bit about freelancing? Is, Is freelancing a part of your life? Has it been more a part of your life? Do you have any advice for freelancing?
1: Uh, y- yes, freelancing has been part of my life. Currently, not as much, but right before I started as the artistic director, I was freelancing part-time and working in the office part-time. And then in some years before, I was freelancing full-time. Mostly as a theater tech, as a carpenter or an electrician, or doing run crew for for shows and events do I have any advice for freelancing yes every time you get a check put a third of it in savings and that's how much you really made um what you have left is what you really made that's
0: great advice
1: it honestly it took a few years before I could e- was fi- like comfortable enough to get to that point and it, that was hard that was really yeah. hard um and give yourself a raise like you you are not charging enough. Whatever it is, <laughs> almost certainly it's not enough. Whatever,
0: whatever it is, it's not, and <laughs> it's something that can go up. Like it can go yeah. up a bit, even if it's only fifty cents an hour.
1: Yeah, I think that was a, a really rewarding thing to discover. As when I was freelancing and when I've been freelancing, is like at the end of the year, you just or at the beginning of the next year, you just say, "Happy New Year! This is my new rate." it's you know and that's the deal and I've gotten results that way like almost nobody has ever said to me like I no goodbye we're done like that doesn't happen it's not because hiring is such a hassle it's like not worth it they'll just pay you
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's true I've been on the other side of that and it's 1000% true no I love that I always tell people that I will never be able to pay them what they're worth um But I always try to pay them close to their value because, you know, you're worth way more than I could ever afford. But yes. um, but, I, but I am going to try to pay your your value um, in this particular moment. Listed on your old website.
1: Oh, Lord. States.
0: Oh, yeah. Listed on your old website, it states, if you could have a superpower, you would want the ability to produce silence. Is that still true? And what is your relationship to silence as a superpower?
1: I have no idea where you found that. I have no, Id- no memory of writing that. And I wouldn't even know where to look. Uh- <laughs> it's
0: incredible. Like, it's an incredible My God. statement.
1: God thanks, imagine how insufferable my dating profiles have been <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess that is what I do now. like I was talking about listening earlier and like a, s- some of my favorite a lot of my like f- favorite theater works that I've made are totally totally silent uh That's awesome. and like. More often than previously, like the moments I'm really proud of are the moments that don't have language. When I was in Europe last year, I saw some dance and some opera and some like, and I saw some German theater and I don't, I, mm-hmm. which had no supertitles, no subtitles, and I do not speak any German. And so <laughs> I've, I guess like since getting back, I've been thinking more intentionally about work where language is not the center. So My answer, I guess, is that I did in some way learn how to practice that superpower good good for me amazing. i wonder when i wrote that maybe 22 You,
0: <laughs> amazing i also hear that you like metal music
1: yeah is I do.
0: that tell me about that what draws you to it
1: it's the same kind of perversion that like makes me a neo-futurist and makes me a distance runner is that like i want to be seen challenging myself and like experiencing mm-hmm. challenges that uh, are are not for everybody and I, I want to be like I some part of me like wants to be seen in those settings and I want to challenge myself in those settings and I think part of like part of like being a teenager liking metal is like you like the loudest fastest meanest band um and so that was the initial part of it I guess and like how I sort of like found my way into that world and Now it's still just a, you know, a scene that I follow and a scene that I like to be connected to. And that's not the theater scene. It's also nice to have sort of like a a second community to go to. Yeah, That's not also my work.
0: (laughs) All right. What media are you consuming now that's like inspiring or um, exciting or even just like turns your brain off?
1: I've been listening to this wonderful experimental musician who is called Lisa Belladonna. She is like surrounded by like a Death Star sized panel of synthesizers. And she makes these like 20 plus minute semi improvised compositions. I guess about, if they can be said to be about something, they're like about her relationship to nature and about like local wildlife. I guess what I really love about them is that, I don't know, You, it's the experience of, like, listening to one person completely in the zone mm-hmm. and alone mm-hmm. with a machine that she, you know... I think I think she's modular. I think she, like, built her whole setup herself. Um, so, like, in, a, in a, completely in the zone with a machine that she, like, put together. Uh, and that's something that's a kind of... I don't know, that, like... To, to have that kind of freedom of expression and that kind of like command of your skill is something that I'm thinking about.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. I can only imagine like an environment, you're creating your environment and then you're creating the yeah audio, like you, you have complete control over your entire yeah. environment and you're inviting other people into it.
1: Yeah, and I, I, yeah. The sort of privacy and vulnerability there that must be really interesting.
0: Yeah. Another question that we have is what would you tell your younger self about this industry? And what would advice would you give to young people and or their grown-ups about their career aspirations in the arts?
1: There's a few things. One is that it is a numbers game. It is a long journey and the important thing is to is to do a lot of whatever it is you're doing. Volume is the mo- is the key. Write a lot of pages, do a lot of plays. Just do not get rusty and do not give up. A lot of it's luck and a lot of it's who you know and where you come from and where you land and how much money you have and like all these other factors that are not your talent or skill or under your control. But if you just do a lot of it, eventually One of them is going to hit something. You'll get better at it if nothing else. And like (laughs) do a lot of it. (laughs) Volume is the thing. And it's like, that's the, that's true of like weightlifting and running. And like, it's just do a lot of it. And it is possible. It can be done. That's easy for me to say now, but it's not like it's completely conquered now, but it's like despair and confusion are normal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I had already decided what sacrifices I was comfortable with. But the things that I didn't prioritize and didn't, like, really actively make time for in my life didn't happen. I don't have a lot of money, and I don't... I'm almost certainly not going to have, like, a heteronormative, like, monogamous family with a house and stuff. Like, those things,
0: yeah.
1: I didn't prioritize them. They're not going to happen. And, like, I was okay with that from the beginning, and that's that's good because it's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's new, a new experience that students come to me and ask me questions, and I'm still, yeah. like, figuring out what to say to them. I still very much feel like I'm in the same climb as them and yeah. have the same questions as them. And I turn around and I ask the same questions to my professors, and I'm sure that they feel like they're still in the same grind a lot of the time, too.
0: <laughs> absolutely it it never ends except i'm told when you hit 70 then okay you accept the fact that you'll never know the answer this is coming from my father so could be
1: and what if i get to be sage. 71 and i still
0: <laughs> yes yeah, still i don't yeah. know i don't know what happens i don't know but i i think I think you're absolutely right. It is about volume and also just volume to figure out what you like and what you don't like. Yeah. Um, I don't like living room dramas. Um, I don't like doing like, I don't like participating in the art. I don't mind seeing them, but I, um, I always said that I would much rather um, make a budget for, you know, a 45 minute kid show with like 67 sound cues and like 400 light cues. The last, for, <sighs> you know, that's like like that has always been more exciting to me than yeah. working on like the, you know, interplay or, or whatnot. So, yeah. Um, but I would not have known that if I had not sat yes. and done a lot of a lot of a lot of a lot of things. Plus, it comes full circle for you know especially as a neo I can only imagine that that helps inform um a lot of what you write and and put on stage is the sheer amount of experience yeah practicing
1: practice yeah
0: practice we have a community question okay Uh, so this community question comes from Sporty uh and Sporty's question is what kind of discipline do you follow in order to do your form of art?
1: The one key thing about being in the cast of The Wrench is that you must come to Tuesday Rehearsal with one new thing. It doesn't matter how short or how stupid it is, but it must be new. And it is a fixed, it is a fixed rule. You must do it. (laughs) Um, I've never seen anyone, I've never seen anyone fail. I have no idea what would happen if you did fail. Uh, <laughs> um, but that, like, knowing it must be done, I think that's, it doesn't matter how bad it is, but getting it done and having some kind of, like, external accountability is huge for that. Uh, one time I decided I was going to write a novella, so I wrote a check to my friend Jasmine, and I forward dated it for the deadline, and I made it, an, you know, it has to be an amount that hurts. yeah and then the deal is like if you get it done you hand Jasmine the draft and get the check back and if it's not done Jasmine goes on vacation <laughs>
0: <gasps> oh my god
1: uh, but external accountability even even something artificial that you engineer for yourself is important that and like in the moment only doing one thing like multitasking is not real in my opinion and mm. if you're writing mm. be only writing if you're composing or dancing or whatever, be doing only that thing.
0: Connor, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Uh, It's been incredible to learn more about you and about the Neos, and you've given me a lot to think about. I'm excited to, um, to sit and try doing one thing. Um, with my whole being. Uh, and, and I don't know what that thing is gonna be, but I'm gonna try that tomorrow. Uh, okay. Do you have any parting words for our audience or for our young listeners out there?
1: Thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for uh, having having me in your space. Thank you for letting me talk about myself.
0: Living in the Arts is hosted
1: by Laura Scales with original music and editing by Jason Duran. Produced by Claire Haup, and our podcast coordinator is Colin Shai. Living in the Arts is made possible in part by the MGM Resort Foundation and by donors like you. For more information about anything our guest mentioned, be sure to check out the show notes. To learn more and support Living in the Arts, please visit livingartsdetroit.org. Thank you so much for joining us and so much for listening.